happening, food eaters? This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. This is the 27th episode. So what's going on today? Well, as promised, this will be the first time that I venture into the greasy world of fast food. There are many podcasts that talk about this topic, but I suspect that the Food Labels Revealed podcast is the only one to examine in detail the ingredients and nutritional breakdown of specific fast food meals. So hang on to your seat. There is going to be a plethora of information in this show. I will be addressing such questions as, is there really a difference between fast food and the types of highly processed foods found in the typical grocery store? Are the rumors true that fast food is intrinsically unhealthy? And, finally, how similar are fast food meals in different restaurants? For this first foray into the fast food nation, I will examine and compare a typical meal in McDonald's and Burger King. For newcomers to the podcast, here's some info about me. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for much of that time, I've had a fascination, some may even call it an obsession, with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they may be affecting our health. I think this is still the only podcast that is devoted to looking behind the commercial food curtain at all of those strange, unusual, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on the shelves of our grocery stores. This is a 100% free podcast. Just put the money back in your pocket. There are no sponsors, financial supporters, or Kickstarter campaigns. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and to keep it that way, this program does not work with any business, commercial product, or organization. All I ask of you is to listen, and if you are informed, educated, or entertained by the content, please let others know through social media or the old-fashioned way, word of mouth. Website and contact information is provided at the end of the show. Okay, let's get this show on the road. It's hard to imagine a time when fast food restaurants did not exist. They followed closely on the heels of the post-war era when America was booming economically, people had more time to kill, most families had at least one car, the food industry was rapidly changing due to the innovations of food scientists, two-income families started to happen, and then there was the growth of the feminist movement. All of those things led to a huge reduction in the number of people making homemade meals, coupled with an expansive increase in the numbers of people dining out. Of course, as a teenager with a car in the late 1960s, I was a fan of fast food restaurants, checking out every new one that came to town, going to places like McDonald's, Arby's, Roy Rogers, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Burger King, Long, John Silver's, and so on and so on. In my mind, the food was fast, cheap, and satisfying. The names of the restaurants haven't changed much. A few have bit the dust, and some new ones have been added to the city landscapes. What has really changed, for me, has been my attitude towards them. Unless I'm in a dire need of a bathroom, I avoid those places like the plague. Nowadays, I know too much. Too much about food, about nutrition and the effects those have on health. And so, there's no going back for me. If you've been a listener of these podcasts for a while, you know that typically I will target some grocery store product, thoroughly examining its ingredients and sometimes addressing its nutritional value. And often I would look specifically at some of the stranger and unusual synthetic ingredients that show up in processed foods. This episode is going to be a departure from that pattern because in recent months I began thinking about whether there was a difference between the ingredients found in processed foods in grocery, convenience, or big box stores versus the ingredients found in fast foods. Were they really one and the same thing? I've always thought that question would be tough to answer because how would I ever be able to learn about the identity of the ingredients in fast food? Weren't they trade secrets? 
tightly held by the fast food companies, kind of like Colonel Sanders' secret 11 herbs and spices? Did you ever walk into a McDonald's and ask them to tell you the ingredients in the Big Mac? Did you ever see any labels or wrappers listing the ingredients as you do on all processed food packages in grocery stores? Not likely. After all, the Federal Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, does not require that information. So I figured that this would be a daunting task, that I would have to find some online organizations dedicated to ferreting out that information and disclosing it to the public. Or, if that wasn't possible, I would have to bribe several underpaid fast food restaurant workers. The first thing I did was look up a directory of fast food restaurants in my city so I would know what was out there. I found about 17 restaurants. Then I went online to search for company websites, ingredient lists, and nutritional data. The results were nothing less than astounding. I was really shocked. Most every restaurant chain had a website that actually provided all the information I was looking for. I think there were only 4 out of 17 that didn't provide all of that. In fact, some of the restaurants even offered nutritional calculators so consumers could crunch the nutritional data themselves choose a sandwich, a side, a drink, and a dessert, then calculate the number of grams of fat, carbs, protein, among other nutrients. Fantastic. That would make my job so much easier. Next, I needed to decide which fast food restaurants to evaluate and compare. Initially, I was thinking three or four, but when I saw how much data was involved, I quickly decided just to pit two restaurant chains against each other. The obvious choices were McDonald's and Burger King, two universally known companies that have been around for a long time and are actually arch competitors. For me, it's just hard to imagine how many Americans love and even worship fast food, even if they suspect in the back of their minds that the food that they're eating is probably not good for them. I'm going to play you a clip from a podcast called Cuff's Basement in an episode entitled Fast Food, where two guys, way older than teenagers, are gushing about the food at McDonald's. I would go McDonald's surely for legacy reasons. It's for just, just it's been around forever. It's no, but been, we we shouldn't do it for that. It shouldn't okay. be in their reputation. It sure, should be okay. on your enjoyment of them. Okay, McDonald's again. <laughs> McDonald's again. All right, that's okay. a better reason. Yeah, yeah. Now, what are your highlights of McDonald's? Um, McDonald's, I love the Big Mac. I always love that. Okay, the Big Mac has got to be maybe number one, but definitely top three greatest fast food items. Oh, of, all of course, time. absolutely. Um, the Big Mac, it's. It's just absolutely incredible. Oh, it's amazing. Um, love the double quarter pounder with cheese. Love that. I, I'm not that's really, a heavy hitter, if you will. Yeah, and that's not. I don't really do the quarter pounders. I like them. I think because there's more to them. Because um, I, I like I like the burgers at yeah. McDonald's, but I feel like more meat is a bad thing. Just in like McDonald's meat. That's true. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's pure chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like the dollar menu selection. I like the McChicken. I like the. Um, the buck double, the McDouble. I think it's called buck double. Now it's McDouble. Yeah. Let me sell you on McDonald's breakfast. McDonald's breakfast. Couldn't agree more. Killer. Okay, the biscuits, amazing. Yep. Egg and cheese biscuit. Love I'm it. not into the breakfast meats there. I think they're gross. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah. But uh, the 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 well, I'm blanking. The egg McMuffin yep. is a classic. Phenomenal. But the McGriddle. Yes, is amazing. Now, it's insane of a concept. It's it egg and cheese, and the bread is pancakes and maple syrup inside of it. Yes. Sounds disgusting. You are wrong, my friend. It is the most amazing. <laughs> that might be my favorite thing. Because I would say Big Mac is one, and McGriddle is two. It's funny. I don't like maple syrup, like, usually regularly on pancakes, but yeah. I love the McGriddle. It's insane. It makes no sense, which is probably a bad sign, but I love the McGriddle. Breakfast, they own the business for fast food breakfast. They own it. I think these views are very typical. Fast food is a major lure for many Americans. Let's look at a bit of history. McDonald's was started as a hamburger stand in 1940 by the brothers Richard and Maurice McDonald in San Bernardino, California. The Golden Arches logo and physical structure was added in 1953. 
1955, the businessman Ray Kroc joined McDonald's and he eventually purchased the brothers' equity in the company. Kroc then built the company into the global enterprise that it is today, with about 37,000 stores in 100 countries and has become the world's second largest employer behind Walmart. To Burger King, it was founded in 1953 as Insta Burger King in Jacksonville, Florida by Keith Kramer and Matthew Burns. Have it your way. The Instaburger name came from the special hamburger broiler that the owners licensed from the McDonald's brothers. After financial problems in 1954, the business was sold to Miami-based franchisees David Edkerton and James McLemore, who renamed the company to Burger King. By 2002, the company had changed hands no less than four times. It is now owned by Restaurant Brands International, headquartered in Canada. Burger King has over 15,000 restaurants worldwide in 100 countries. If you're interested in learning more about these fast food restaurants, search YouTube under McDonald's vs. Burger King. What is the difference? Alternately, there'll be a link in the, to the video in the show notes at podbean.com. The narrator talks like he's on speed, uh, but there's a goodly amount of info contained in this eight-minute video. Having found the data that I would need to make comparisons, now I could answer such fundamental questions as, one, is this type of food really as bad for our health as I've heard for many years? And two, which restaurant was worse? The next decision I needed to make was which meals do I compare? The worst ones on the menu, the best ones, the most popular ones, and how do I compare those meals fairly? Each restaurant menu had myriad choices and meal combinations giving rise to dozens and dozens of possibilities. To make it easy on myself, I decided to select the most popular hamburger sandwiches coupled with a side order of medium fries plus a milkshake. Of course, in the case of McDee's, the sandwich had to be the Big Mac, and for Burger King, the Whopper, two icons in the hamburger industry that have been around forever. Since the meals were not going to weigh the same, to fairly compare their nutritional content, I would calculate nutrient composition per 100 grams of each meal. Now, I know that these selections were rather arbitrary, and the final results are not going to definitively state which restaurant serves up the unhealthier meal, but it is a starting point. I, I could probably do 10 episodes comparing the menus just of these two restaurants alone, but that would get pretty tedious, not to mention very boring. And needless to say, there are other restaurants out there uh, to compare in future episodes. So let's get this analysis started. Warning, warning, warning. There is going to be lots of data, and I also will be throwing out a bunch of numbers. Not to worry. I know that it will be difficult to assimilate all this information in one listening of the podcast. After all, it took me several days to compile it. So for those listeners who are interested in the details and want to leisurely look at the data... I will make it all available in downloadable Google Documents. Please see the show notes at podbean.com under Food Labels Revealed, or those links may also show up in your podcast player in the show description. Alternatively, if the details of this fast food analysis are tiresome to you, feel free to fast forward to the end of the show where I'll give a summary and you'll get the gist of the whole thing. Here are the menu items that I examined for each restaurant. For McDonald's, there is a Big Mac hamburger, medium fries, ketchup, and a 16-ounce chocolate shake. For Burger King, there's the Whopper hamburger, medium fries, ketchup, and a 16-ounce Oreo chocolate shake. Let's start with McDonald's. I took each part of the meal and listed all the ingredients from highest to lowest quantities, just like you see on food labels. 
deconstructing the Big Mac, there was the bun, the patties, the lettuce, the sauce, the cheese, the pickles, and the onion. There were 12 ingredients in the bun, not counting the vitamins and minerals. There were no real surprises here, just the typical things you find in a commercial hamburger bun sold in any grocery store. There was refined flour, yeast, sugar to feed the yeast, oil, wheat gluten, sesame seeds, and dough conditioners to help the dough rise and maintain its shape during manufacturing and packaging. And of course, there was a common preservative, calcium propionate. Then there were the 100% pure beef patties, no extenders or fillers. Only one ingredient here, beef. Now, one could argue about that 100% claim, since many things can wind up in meat during the raising of the cows, through the slaughtering process, and during the making of the meat into patties in the factory. When you eat a hamburger in a fast food restaurant, that meat is not coming from a single cow. I hope that I didn't burst your bubble. In fact, in 2012, the British branch of the McDonald's company acknowledged that the meat patty could come from a blend of up to 100 cows. I suspect that number is even higher in the U.S. With many animals involved, how could anyone state with absolute assurance that this product is pure? So there could be a number of hidden ingredients in meat, making it way less pure than indicated by McDonald's. But that's really the subject of a future episode. In addition to the meat, a seasoning of salt and pepper is added during the grilling process. There are some vegetables in the sandwich, like lettuce and onion, so as whole foods, I'm not going to say anything about them. Next up is McDonald's special sauce. Now that stuff is one complex mixture. There are 29 ingredients, and it's a classic case of a modern, ultra-processed food. Heading the list is soybean oil, one of the cheapest and least nutritious oils used in food manufacturing. As the first ingredient, you know that the sauce is a high-fat item. There are a handful of minimally processed ingredients like pickles, vinegar, egg yolks, onion, salt, mustard, and garlic. But the remaining ingredients, about 21, are industrialized chemicals. For example, the sweeteners, high fructose corn syrup, and regular corn syrup. This product is heavily chemically preserved with additives like potassium sorbate, sodium benzoate, and sodium dicalcium ethylene diamine tetraacetic acid. Uh, that just rolls off my tongue. To keep the oil and water components mixed together, the emulsifier polysorbate 80 is used as well as traditional egg yolks and soy lecithin. Thickeners like xanthan gum and propylene glycol alginate give the sauce thickness and mouthfeel. Then, to get just the right tint, there is caramel coloring, extractive of paprika, and turmeric. Finally, for flavor, Hydrolyzed vegetable protein, better known as soy sauce, is added to the mix. In past episodes, I think I've talked about all these additives with the exception of propylene glycol alginate. So that is the ingredient of the day. Surprisingly, I was unable to find much information about this ingredient. It is a white, water-soluble powder that has multiple uses as a stabilizer, thickener, and emulsifier. It's made from the chemical combination of alginic acid, derived from the cell, cell walls of brown algae, and the synthetic chemical propylene glycol, which we'll hear more about later. The cheese used in Big Macs is American processed cheese. It's fake cheese and very industrialized. I talked about it in episode number 9 called Eating a Bologna Sandwich. It has 13 ingredients including the usual milk, cream, and cheese cultures. To keep the oil and water ingredients from separating, the cheese has emulsifiers like sodium citrate and soy lecithin. 
And, to be expected, there are preservatives like citric acid, lactic acid, acetic acid, and sorbic acid. Then, of course, the cheese has to have the right color. So, a color agent is added, but McDee's does not reveal its identity for some reason. Finally, there are the ubiquitous enzymes, protein molecules that initiate and speed up chemical reactions. There are probably thousands of examples of enzymes used in food manufacturing, but in this case only the word enzyme is used, so that also leaves us guessing as to the true identity of that substance. Next, in the Big Mac, are the pickle slices. Now you might think that this component would be pretty simple, but there are actually 10 ingredients listed. Besides the usual cucumbers, vinegar, and salt, there are the industrial additives like calcium chloride for crunchiness and taste, alum for crispiness, potassium sorbate as preservative, natural flavors, polysorbate 80 as emulsifier, and extractive of turmeric for color. The french fries actually have fewer ingredients than the pickles. There are just nine of them. Uh, and two are very interesting. Of course, there are potatoes, salt, and oil. Not just one oil, but four, canola, corn, soy, and hydrogenated th soy. Thumbs down on that last one, since hydrogenated oils are bad for the heart due to trans fat, and the FDA is trying to get processors to stop using them. There's also a sweetener in the mix, dextrose, also called glucose. Do the french fries need to taste sweet? No, I don't think so. The dextrose is present in a small amount, and my guess is that it serves as a browning agent to give the fries the attractive, very light brown color we all expect after frying. The surprise ingredients are sodium acid pyrophosphoric acid, a name only a chemist could love, and natural beef flavor. The former is in the fries to keep the color from darkening. Who would want to eat dark brown or black fries? Actually, I do. I've always liked overcooked french fries that get extra crispy. Finally, the magic ingredient, the natural beef flavor. First of all, why would McDonald's want, to want their fries to taste like beef? Well, that's the additive that gives McD's fries a distinctive and recognizable taste. The real surprise is that the beef flavor does not come from beef. In the past, McDonald's cooked their fries in a combination of cottonseed oil and beef tallow. That's how the original taste was created. But that mixture of oil was full of saturated fat and cholesterol. Under public pressure, the company switched to 100% vegetable oil, but how did they replace the beef flavor? The company created a new beef-like flavor made mainly from hydrolyzed wheat and milk products, which sounds vegetarian, but apparently it still has some real meat flavoring in it, so McDonald's fries are unsuitable for vegetarians. Needless to say, you can't have fries without ketchup. The ketchup has seven ingredients in it with the usual culprits like tomato, concentrate, vinegar, salt, and sugar. But the sugar sources are the highly refined high fructose corn syrup and regular corn syrup. Rounding out the list is the ubiquitous and unknowable natural flavors. The final component of the McDonald's meal is the chocolate shake, which is composed of vanilla reduced fat ice cream, chocolate shake syrup, and whipped light cream. The ice cream portion has nine ingredients, containing the typical milk, sugar, and cream. It too is sweetened with corn syrup. It's held together by mono and diglycerides, which are oil derivatives, and thickened by cellulose gum, probably derived from wood. Then there's guar gum and carrageenan as other thickeners. Some people have had bad reactions to carrageenan, which is derived from red algae. Some symptoms involve GI inflammation and GI ulceration. And once again, ending the list is the mysterious natural flavors. The chocolate shake syrup 
has eight ingredients including two sweeteners with sugar and corn syrup topping the list then there's cocoa glycerin salt and the same old natural flavors strangely the added color comes from fruit and vegetable juice instead of questionable synthetic dyes which are being slowly phased out of the food industry so what's with the glycerin also known as glycerol that's a type of sugar alcohol used as both a thickener and sweetener it can be derived from both animal and vegetable sources the fda considers it gross generally recognized as safe but it may have a laxative effect in some people finally to complete the mcdonald's meal there's a whip like cream it has six ingredients with nothing really new there's cream non-fat milk sugar mono and diglycerides natural flavors of course and carrageenan looking at the ingredients overall how many are there in this meal well not counting added vitamins and minerals the total comes to 108 yes there are 108 substances needed to create this one meal obviously some of the ingredients are repeated in the various components of the meal accounting for the repeats there are 73 unique substances in the meal just imagine if you were preparing this dinner from scratch at home you would need to gather together 73 containers of ingredients on your kitchen counters that would be a formidable task now that 73 is really a low estimate since some ingredients like natural flavors are composed of more than just one thing according to the many experts on the subject the obesity epidemic in this country and around the world is characterized by the inordinate consumption of salt sugar and fat or oil looking at all the ingredients in the big mac meal what percent fall in those categories a whopping 31 percent are either salt sugar or fat another major contributor to obesity is the consumption of processed and ultra processed food ingredients how many ingredients in the big mac meal fall into these categories this is another large number 64 percent of the unique ingredients are processed or ultra processed food ingredients now let's turn our attention to the burger king meal note there are many overlaps between the two so i'll be spending much less time on the burger king meal ingredients deconstructing the burger king whopper reveals a bun beef tomatoes lettuce mayonnaise pickles and onions i'll ignore the veggies and the beef and only evaluate the other components first the bun it has 14 ingredients and is very similar to the mcdonald's bun but it does feature highly refined sweeteners like hfcs and corn syrup instead of table sugar let's skip ahead to the mayo uh, which has 19 ingredients in it naturally topping the list is soybean oil the major ingredient then as expected in mayo there are eggs and vinegar oddly eggs are mentioned three times in the list of ingredients additionally there's salt sugar natural flavors garlic and onion there's only one obviously synthetic chemical in the mayo and that's calcium disodium ethylene diamine tetraacetic acid as a preservative it was also in the mcd's sauce next come the pickles whose ingredients are pretty similar to the ones in the big mac with two exceptions the burger king pickles have propylene glycol and yellow number five coloring propylene glycol is a common food ingredient and considered safe by the fda it is probably used as a stabilizer in the pickles i suppose that the yellow number five coloring is used to make pickles look more like pickles but you got to wonder about that on to the burger king french fries there are 11 ingredients of course potatoes and oil top the list but there are other key ingredients like modified potato starch rice flour and potato dextrin which are probably used as coatings on the fries to make them fry up crisply 
It's interesting to note that leavening is used in their fries, a combination of disodium dihydrogen pyrophosphate and sodium bicarbonate. And the combo is baking powder. And that produces a batter-like coating for the fries. Next, the Burger King ketchup has eight ingredients and is very similar to the McDee's version. The last part of the Burger King meal is the Oreo chocolate shake consisting of vanilla soft serve ice cream, Oreo cookie crumbles, and chocolate sauce. The Burger King soft serve ice cream has 17 ingredients in it and is way more complex than the ice cream in the McDonald's shake. At the top of the list are the five most common processed food ingredients in milk-based desserts. There is milk fat, which is cream, non-fat milk, sugar, corn syrup, and high fructose corn syrup. The fourth ingredient on the list is sweet whey. Now, whey is common, but I've not seen sweet whey before. It's the liquid byproduct during the making of rennet types of hard cheese, like cheddar, or Swiss. Some of the ingredients in the Burger King shake that are not present in the McDee's are propylene glycol monoesters, natural vanilla, disodium phosphate, sodium citrate, and cellulose gum. Of those additives, I have not yet talked about propylene glycol monoesters, called PGMEs, and disodium phosphate. The PGMEs are strong emulsifiers that keep fat and water from separating in the shake. Disodium phosphate helps keep oil-based and water-based ingredients together, which would otherwise separate. The second component in the Burger King shake is Oreo cookies. There are 11 ingredients typical of a chocolate cookie. Heading the list is sugar, then there's flour, oil, cocoa, high fructose corn syrup, cornstarch, baking soda, salt, lecithin, and flavorings, not specified. The last component of the shake is the chocolate sauce, which has 11 ingredients in it. As in any processed sweetened food, we see the usual players, high fructose corn syrup, dextrose corn syrup, cocoa, whey, salt, natural flavors, preservatives, and gums. Looking at the ingredients overall, how many of them are in the Burger King meal? Well, not counting, as before, added vitamins and minerals, the total comes to 99. As with the McDonald's meal, some of the ingredients are repeated in the various components of the meal. Accounting for the repeats, we get 72 unique substances. So how does the Burger King meal stack up as far as the number of salt, sugar, and fat ingredients? Of the total number of ingredients, 29% fall into those categories. What about the number of processed and ultra-processed ingredients? 63% fall into those categories. At this point, Looking just at the ingredients, let's summarize the facts for the two hamburger meals. First, number of total ingredients, 108 in the Big Mac meal versus 99 in the Whopper meal. That's close. Number of unique ingredients, 73 in the Big Mac meal versus 72 in the Whopper meal. That's about identical. Percentage of salt, sugar, and fat ingredients, 31% in the Big Mac meal versus 29% in the Whopper meal. Very close. Percentage of processed and ultra-processed ingredients, 64% in the Big Mac meal versus 63% in the Whopper meal. Again, almost identical. Do you kind of get the picture yet? Seems like the Big Mac and Whopper meals are very similar in the sense that they are highly processed foods packed with a bunch of ingredients, many of which can trigger unhealthy cravings. Now, let's look on the nutrition side of these two meals. Are you still with me? Hang in there. There's some interesting stuff coming up. To discuss nutrition, I'm going to talk about daily values because that's how the FDA has set up the standards for nutrients on food labels. If you look at any nutrition facts label, 
you'll see a column on the right side that is, in, that is titled Percent Daily Value. And there's a list of percents for many of the nutrients listed on the left side of the label. For example, for total fat, you might see the number 20%. The important thing to know is that this value and all the others are based on a daily intake of 2,000 calories. Sometimes you'll see a second column of percents based on 2,500 calories. Now, how did the government come up with that number, 2,000 calories? As far as I can tell, it's pretty arbitrary. It's essentially tied to the energy requirement for a particular human. The concept is to achieve a balance of energy where the energy output, that is your activity, equals the energy input, which is the food. Theoretically, if that balance can be maintained over time, then a person should not lose or gain weight. That's physics irrespective of genetics or other biological considerations. There are websites you can go to where your energy output can be estimated using what's called the basal metabolic rate, plus your physical activity, plus the energy of digestion. With that info, you can determine what your personal daily intake of calories should be. It's too complicated to cover here, so I'll put links to several websites in the show notes. Now, for simplicity, the U.S. government has published a table which lists calorie needs by age, gender, and physical activity. I'll also put that link in the show notes. If you, if you look at the table, you'll see that a woman aged 26 to 50 and moderately active should consume about 2,000 calories per day. That's where I think the daily value comes from. However, if you're a male or someone who is very active, then you'll need more calories and the daily values shown on food packages will be too low for you. But since the government requires all food manufacturers to list percent daily values based on a 2,000 calorie intake, then that's what I'll be talking about with respect to the McDonald's and Burger King meals. By the way, a moderately active man should be consuming about 2,600 calories per day. First off, let's compare the amount of food in grams. The McDonald's meal weighs 790 grams, or 1.74 pounds. The Burger King meal comes in higher at 891 grams, or 1.96 pounds. In terms of energy, the McDonald's meal contains 1,530 calories. Note that 76.5% of the 2,000 calorie limit. The Burger King meal contains 1,800 calories. That's 90% of the 2,000 calorie limit. So right from the get-go, just one Big Mac or Whopper meal supplies a huge percentage of the daily recommended amount, even if you're a man. Now, I'll break down the nutrition components for you. Here is the total fat for each meal. 61 grams for the Big Mac versus 79 grams for the Whopper meal. The percent daily values for fat are 94% for the Big Mac versus 122% for the Whopper meal. Now think about that for a moment. If you're eating the Big Mac meal, you're getting 94% of your fat intake for the day. And for the Burger King meal, you're at 122%. If you're a moderately active woman, you can't eat any more fat that day if you want to maintain your weight. Most people are aware that a diet high in saturated fat is bad for the circulatory system, the heart, and the brain. So let's see how much shows up in the burger meals. There's 23 grams saturated fat for the Big Mac meal. That's 115% of the daily value. And there's 28 grams for the Whopper meal. That's 140% of the daily value. Not good. For either meal, the average woman 
uh, is maxed out for the day. Another bad fat is trans fat formed in partially hydrogenated oils, which are also bad for the coronary heart system. There's no official daily limit for trans fat intake, and there probably never will be since the government has mandated food companies to stop using partially hydrogenated oils. However, a website called Healthline does assign a daily limit of 2 grams. Both the Big Mac and Whopper meals have 2 grams in them. So again, uh, the average woman of moderate activity is maxed out for the day as regards trans fat. Another nutrient that the feds don't track in a daily diet is carbohydrates, but I'll mention the amounts in each meal. The Big Mac meal has 196 grams carbs versus the Whopper meal, which has 229 grams of carbs. Also, protein's not tracked in the daily diet, even though too little or too much protein can be problematic for health. The Big Mac meal has 43 grams of protein versus the Whopper meal with 50 grams. The vast majority of Americans have no problem getting enough protein in their diet. There is what's called the DRI, the Dietary Reference Intake, which recommends 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight. That means for a 150-pound person, they would need 54 grams of protein, which is very close to the Whopper meal. Next up is cholesterol, another component in our diet which is frowned upon. Too much is definitely a bad thing. The Big Mac meal has 149 milligrams, that's 50% of the daily value, while the Whopper meal has 160 milligrams, that's 53% of the daily value. So the average woman eating either meal will have consumed about 50% of the recommended amount of cholesterol for the day. Then there's sodium. Known for its association with hypertension or high blood pressure, sodium levels in foods have been scrutinized for many years. The Big Mac meal has 1,670 milligrams. That's 70% of the daily value while the Whopper meal has 2,480 milligrams of sodium, that's 103% of the daily value. So the average woman eating either meal will have consumed the majority of the recommended amount of sodium for the whole day. The last nutrient to mention is fiber. That nutrient made it on the watch list after the government observed that as food consumption got more and more industrialized, the fiber content of foods got lower and lower. Most fiber comes from whole fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, and nuts. Fiber in the diet helps with digestion and elimination in order to maintain a healthy colon. As a side benefit, a high fiber diet makes you feel full, so you're less likely to overeat. The Big Mac meal has 8 grams, that's 32% of the daily value, while the Whopper meal has 7 grams, that's 28% of the daily value. Actually, as regards fiber, these two meals are close to expectation as they provide roughly one-third of the daily fiber requirement. Finally, I want to say a few words about sugar, one of the three horsemen of the obesity apocalypse sodium, fat, and sugar. The government doesn't have a daily value for sugar yet. However, coming soon to all food labels will be a listing for added sugars, which includes any sugar which is not found naturally in a food ingredient. For example, if we look at raisins, which are packed with sugar and they're in a cereal they will only be counted in the total sugar content. If the cereal has also table sugar, corn syrup solids, and dextrose, then those ingredients will be counted as added sugars. The Big Mac meal has 102 grams of total sugar. That's about 21.8 teaspoons, while the Whopper meal has 116 grams of total sugar, which is about 25 teaspoons. 
Each of these meals have quite a slug of sugar in them. As mentioned earlier, to fairly compare the Big Mac meal versus the Whopper meal, since the food weights are different, I put each nutrition item on a 100 gram basis. Here is the final nutritional analysis for the two meals, with the Big Mac meal mentioned first, followed by the Whopper meal. Calories. There is 194 versus 202. Fat. There is 8 versus 9 grams. Saturated fat. 3 versus 3 grams. Cholesterol. 19 versus 18 milligrams. Carbs. 25 versus 26 grams. Protein. 5 versus 6 grams. Sodium. 211 versus 278 milligrams. Fiber. 1 versus 1 gram. Sugar. 13 versus 13 grams. Isn't that fascinating? When the Big Mac meal is matched up against the Whopper meal, the nutritional numbers are almost identical, with the exception of sodium, which is 32% higher in the Whopper meal. For those of you with high blood pressure, I would definitely stay away from that meal. Does that finding hold up in general with fast foods? Do the numbers usually match up? Who knows? Down the road, I'll be doing more comparisons, so eventually there may be a good answer to that question. Okay, it's time to summarize all this information. Some of the questions I wanted to address by this little study were, are fast foods just another form of ultra-processed foods? Are fast foods really as unhealthy as your reputation suggests? And finally, are there significant differences between similar meals served in different fast food restaurants? Regardless of how unhealthy the food in fast food restaurants like McDonald's and Burger King and the significant amount of bad publicity they get, it boggles my mind that I still continue to see long lines of cars sitting in the takeout lanes of those restaurants. Obviously, the word isn't getting out or people just prefer to remain ignorant, or the marketing is just too good. The attractions of taste, quickness, convenience, and cheapness are overwhelmingly more important to people than their health. This small study definitely indicates that fast food is just another expression of ultra-processed food, which universally has been condemned for its contribution to the rampant health epidemics in this country and around the world. Yes, just comparing two meals from two restaurants is not definitive, and we can't, can't draw any final conclusions, but I predict with some confidence that this type of analysis will bring forth a similar conclusion when I look at other fast food restaurants and other meals in the future. In the example given here, it didn't really matter what data I looked at. The results were consistent. The Big Mac or Whopper meals were excessive in calories, averaging 1,665, heavy in fat, averaging 108% of the daily recommended amount, loaded with sodium, averaging 87% of the daily recommended amount, and very high in sugar, averaging 109 grams, uh, or close to 4 ounces. The other indicator, the number of processed ingredients in each meal, just further validated the conclusion that this type of food is dangerous to people's health. There were 108 ingredients in the Big Mac meal, with 68% of them unique. Of the unique ingredients, 64% of them could be classified as highly processed. There were 99 ingredients in the Whopper meal, with 73% of them unique. Of the unique ingredients, 63% of them could be classified as highly processed. I continue to be surprised that these kinds of findings are not splashed across headlines in print and digital media stories. Hopefully, that may change in the near future. For further inquiry on the subject, I suggest viewing the following documentaries, which may be available through streaming media. Super Size Me is one, Fast Food Nation is another, and then there's Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Well, it's time to wrap up the show. 
To all you food munchers out there, I appreciate you tuning in. If you could take the time to leave a review, good, bad, or indifferent, at the iTunes store, that would be fantastic. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed and their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or just by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet. If you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast or just want to say hello, feel free to drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. If you think your family, friends, or associates might be interested in this podcast, tweet or post a link through your social media outlets to get the word out. And lastly, don't forget that the references provided in this podcast and the documents detailing the fast food data are available in the show notes located at the Podbean hosting website. Well, I'll see you next month. In the meantime, remember, if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. The outro music piece is called Fluffing the Duck, composed by Kevin McLeod. Goodbye. Hey, I forgot something important. Just recently, I started a Facebook page for the podcast. Just search in Facebook under Food Labels Revealed Podcast. Please check it out and like the page. Nearly every day, I post a news item related to food ingredients and processed foods. Feel free to share these posts and comment on them. Now I'm done.